As normal for me, I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. You may have an, uh, an NIV or a different translation in front of you. And as normal, uh, we might look at some of the different words that there are in the different translations if we need to uh, get some clarity, that's fine. And we're going to look together at Colossians chapter 3. And we'll start at verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now, you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So we have arrived uh, today at the third chapter of Colossians, working through uh, during the summer and over the last uh, couple of months uh, since then too. Looking at Paul's message to this church in Colossae, a church that he's He's heard about, he's not actually visited, but a report has come to him. And we looked last time at a particular issue that Paul wanted to spend some time addressing, and that was the issue of, of legalism, a problem in the church that had arisen. Uh, we looked at legalism and saw that it is trying to earn God's love through achieving a certain level of good deeds and avoiding certain sins. That was the problem, that was like the, the weed that had started to grow up, the the Colossians were being deceived into thinking that their performance earned God's favour in some way. That they needed to perform, they needed to stick to certain rules and certain regulations that other people were, were kind of foisting on them in order to remain in God's good books uh, or in order to receive further spiritual blessings. And so the life of that church was starting to really uh, suffer because they were under that pressure and they were feeling that kind of disqualification and that judgment, not a judgment or a disqualification that God wanted them to have, but rather through false teaching, an idea uh, that had come in, that was, that was starting to unsettle them. So Paul wants them to get hold of that truth, that we are saved by grace, we're in relationship with him because of his uh, gift of grace to us, undeserved favour, that it's not dependent on our performance, 
uh, but rather it's a position that God has brought us into freely by his grace. But that can lead us with a question, what about our performance? And I suppose by our performance, I mean what about how well we are doing with God? How, how, we are walk, how is our walk with God? Is that one that is progressing in holiness? Is that one that's progressing in being more like Jesus? And moving on from this problem of legalism, we then think, well, what's the alternative? What's the alternative to trying to, to thinking that I have to earn God's love somehow? What's the alternative to that? And we could get into a, a different mistake of thinking of just being lax, of slack, of being indulgent or kind of morally relaxed, thinking, well, nothing, nothing really matters once saved always saved after all I'm I'm now accepted by God surely my behavior therefore um, has no bearing whatsoever it doesn't matter if I if I get into sin or not here and elsewhere Paul wants to to redress that possibility because whenever people hear the gospel whenever people hear how good the good news of God's grace is how we're saved by his free gift of grace it's always possible to take that to the wrong extreme of thinking, well, then surely my performance, surely my behaviour, surely my walk with God doesn't matter. Um, That is not a right attitude towards God's grace, and Paul wants to to counter it. He does so in other uh, books. He does it in in the book of Romans as well, where a similar issue was raised. In Romans in chapter 6, a question had arisen there, at the beginning of verse 1 there, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul's firm answer is, by no means. By no means. Paul's understanding is that the grace of God, as it says in Titus chapter 2, and verse 12, I think it is, um, Paul says there, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ the whole purpose of God's grace which has brought this wonderful salvation to us is to go on to train us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions or as it says in the NIV in quite a nice catchy way the, the grace of God is there to teach us to say no to ungodliness so that we might go on to serve him in the ways that he wants us to serve him. So, how do we grow in holiness? How do we hold on to the grace of God but in such a way that it does actually teach us to say no to ungodliness? How do we grow in holiness? And first of all, we need to, say, to see this. Paul always wants us, always wants the Colossians and always wants us to remember who we are already, to know the truth and to remember the truth already about our position before him. The Colossians have been laboring under these rules. He doesn't just launch into a new set of rules and say, no, the rules were wrong that those false teachers were trying to foist on you. But basically, yes, to be accepted by God, you need, to, uh, you need to really get cracking on this different list. He doesn't do that. He reminds the Colossians of who 
They are. He reminds them of facts. Things that are true. Things that are certain, unshakable. Things that are already true of them. And so he starts the beginning of chapter 3. And there are a number of statements here which set out our position before God. Which remind us of things that have already happened. Here are some things that have already happened for us. Verse 3. For you have died. Verse 1. You have been raised with Christ. It's referring there to something that has already happened. Something that is in our past. Something that applies to us already. Something that has been done to us already. That's not something that we're to try and do ourselves. To try and go through a process of of killing ourselves or raising ourselves to new life. No, that's something that has already happened. That might raise the question... Well, if I have died and been raised to new life, why does my life sometimes seem to still resemble what it used to be? How is it then that I do continue in sin? If my old life has died and I've been raised to a new life, why is it that in certain areas, at certain times, I've continued to sin? And does my performance, therefore, in that respect... Place those risk, uh, pl- place these facts at risk. Could it be that once it was true to say of me that I had died and rose to new life? But those facts later on become false if my performance doesn't match up for it. Or is this, is this passage only speaking to very special Christians? Very special, a particular group of Christians who've managed to die in some very unusual and impressive way well no these are facts these are certainties Paul is saying for all of us who are in Christ here is something that has already happened we have died Paul says again in that passage in Romans 6 and verse 2 when he's answering that question are we to continue in sin that grace may abound he says by no means how can we who died to sin still live in it. He's referring to something definite. We have died to sin. If you're reading in the ESV, it starts in Colossians 3 with a statement, if then. And that can almost seem to suggest, well, is that, uncert- is that, is that suggesting some uncertainty? If you've died with Christ? It's more saying, since then, it's happened, it's real, it's definite. This is true for you. How are we then to understand what it means to have died already, to have died to sin already? Some can take that to mean um, that in regards to sin, in regards to any temptation that might come our way, we're like a corpse. We are like a physically dead person. You have to kind of forgive the slightly uh, morbid illustration here, but Imagine if you're going for a walk in the woods and on the ground you see a motionless um, animal, a rodent, let's say a squirrel. You see it on the path and it's, it's lying still. From a distance, you might think, well, what's, what's happened to that squirrel? Is it still alive? Is it just sleeping? If you go up to it and prod it and poke it, if it jumps up and scarpers off, you know it's not dead, it's still alive. If it doesn't move to repetitive prodding, 
Um, <laughs> then it's a reasonably safe bet to say, it's dead. It's a, it's a goner. And we can think in the same way. Uh, mistakenly, I hasten to add, that you know, sin can come our way. And it, and it prods us. And it, and it pokes us. And it tempts us. And it says, do you remember, you used to do this. You used to get into this. Why don't you do this again? I said, no, I'm, I'm a corpse of that now. I tot- I'm totally dead to that. I'm to that sin, to that temptation, I am motionless. That, I'm immune from that. That sin, um, has, I don't even feel it. I don't even recognize that it's there. Now, if I asked for a show of hands, if someone said that was always their experience since becoming a Christian, I would be surprised to see any honest hand uh, go up. I just don't think that would be the case. If it were the case, why would it be that in the Bible, Paul has to say, as he does here in Colossians 3 verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Or when he says in Romans 6 verse 12, let not sin reign in your mortal bodies. There are exhortations in Scripture that tell us what to do in respect of sin. So we are dead to sin, but what does that mean? It doesn't mean that we're entirely immune from it. It means something else. And here it's important to recognize what it means when the Bible talks about our death with Christ and our being raised to, to new life with Christ. have got to understand that concept rather than being a physical one, i.e. I'm I'm physically unresponsive to it, is a legal one. Right from the beginning, when sin first entered the world in the garden with Adam and Eve, there was a link straight away between sin and death. It says in Genesis 2 and verse 17, but of the tree of life, of the But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. That's the sin, eating of that tree. For in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. So death and sin are closely related. Death is the consequence or the result of sin. It's the penalty for sin. When Jesus came into the world, he knew no sin. And therefore could be sin on our behalf and take the punishment that that sin deserved. He paid that penalty on our behalf. So having died, sin no longer had any claim on him because he'd suffered the penalty for it. There was no further penalty that needed to be brought. But because he had no sin of his own and was totally innocent, he rose to new life. And therefore, the same is true of us. Sin no longer has any claim on us. Because we are in Christ, we are new creations. We have died with Christ to sin and to the law. There is, as we've been singing, therefore no condemnation for us. Our old self, which was under that, that penalty, under that power of sin, is gone. That person we were no longer exists. That person we were has been crucified with Christ. Paul wants us to get hold of this because he knows how easy it is to 
to forget what has already happened. Now we've put that off and we've decided to live for God. Something has definitely and tangibly changed in our position before God and before sin. Sin used to be the master. It used to say, jump, and we would say, how high? But that is no longer the case. It might still say to us, jump, but it's not inevitable that we jump. It's not inevitable that we jump or ask, how high should I jump? So we've got some certainties here. We've got some, some concrete facts about who we are, about our position that Paul wants to remind us of. Going on, there are some other facts as well. In verse 3, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Something has happened in the past, i.e. we died and we've been raised to new life. Something is true right now. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. Hidden there seems to imply a sense of, a sense of security. If you have something that is ever so precious to you, you might look to try and hide it in a safe place. If you come into some money, you might think, I'll try and put that in a safe place. That's a little bit of a challenge now, in terms of actually finding, say, a safe bank to put it in. Shall we just take it out and put it under the mattress? Is that really safe? Might someone just break in, look at this great lump under our mattress, depending on how much you have, and, uh, and look to take it, take it away. So that's the challenge that we, we have in, in, in that sense. What safer place is there than with Christ in God? No one and nothing can snatch our lives out of his hands. There's safety, there's security. And another certainty, looking into the future. When Christ, in verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. It's almost like if you were to write your autobiography right now, you could write everything about your life, if you knew everything. In one of the earlier chapters, there'd be a section there which says, I died to sin. There'd be a section there, I gave my life to God. The chapter you're in at the moment, my life is safe within him. My, my future, my, my eternal life is being kept for me in a safe place where nothing can get to it, nothing can damage it, nothing can, um, can thwart it or steal it. It's safe. I'm trusting him for that day. And then there'll be a chapter later on which says, What will happen to me? I will appear with him in glory. It's a certainty. It's a fact. It's something definite. So Paul wants to remind the Colossians of these facts because perhaps they'd started to drift away and perhaps they'd they'd forgotten who they were. They'd forgotten about these, these facts. And so he was writing them to say, first of all, remember who you are. Remember what God has already done. Now, having done that, having reminded ourselves of those objective truths, almost like what Misha was saying earlier, we can get very much focused on feelings, and we feel that determines uh, what our position is with God. Now, we need to come to the objective truths, the objective truths that are in the Word, the objective truths that have been uh, in the, the words of the songs that we've been singing as well. So having remembered who we are, we need to, to be 
who we are. Maybe a couple of illustrations might help at this point. After the American Civil War, uh, slaves in the South were liberated from their slavery. A proclamation was made. A new law was written. It was tangible. It was definite that they were no longer in slavery. They were no longer serving the masters in slavery that they had been. But to begin with, some of them were prone to forget that they were, in fact, free men. They had been used to being slaves, and so even though the law, the reality, had changed, they could drift back into behaving as though they still were slaves, with the same fears, with the same kind of cowering responses if their old master walks past. However, their legal position had, in fact, truly changed. The truth was that they were free, but they needed to recognize that and learn to live free. Similarly, uh, during and after uh, the Second World War, um, with ex-prisoners of war, when they were freed from concentration camps or labor camps, or if they managed to escape in some way, for some, what would happen, because the memory of where they used to be was still in their minds, they would, again, similarly, act as though they were still there. And so in those labor camps, they may have thought, we don't know where the next meal is coming from, and we don't know um, uh, whether we'll, in fact, be given anything else. And so often the issue of food was ever so important. And so if they found food or if they got food, there would be, it would be ever so important for them to take it, maybe take some there and then, but hide it, wrap it up, store it, put it somewhere, because they never knew we're going to need that at some point. They come into freedom. They come into uh, to, to rescue and to being brought into kind of safe territory, as it were, and they have food. Food is available, and the, the same threat isn't there. The same fear uh, need not be there, but what for some would happen is they would still be very paranoid about collecting food, wrapping it up, hiding it away. I never know when I'm going to need that. But they were actually free. They had actually been rescued, and they didn't actually need to do what they had done when they had been slaves. On the one hand, it's understandable they reacted in that way because the memories of their former lives were still kind of clinging to them. But on the other hand, it was entirely illogical. It didn't actually make sense in terms of what their position actually was. They were free and they were to live free. So for us and the Colossians... We are free from sin and living a new life. But we can be reminded of our old life. We can be reminded of the characteristics of that old life that can attempt to cling to us. If you've ever got something really sticky, uh, and sometimes like cling film, you'll try and it'll get stuck to you in one place, and you'll try and pick it off and, and throw it off, but now it's stuck to that place. So you have to make a really deliberate choice really deliberate effort to get that off and put it down. Because there's something clinging about it. And that can be the case for us. 
Sin still wants to try and cling to us and tell us that it's in charge. However, because Jesus died, we died. And so we need not continue in it any longer. Now that we belong with Christ above, also, it doesn't make sense to seek those earthly things. That's what Paul seems to be saying here. You've been raised with Christ. That's a fact. Therefore, it makes sense for you to seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, to seek Christ, to seek the life that he has for us. Not to seek the things that are, are, that are on earth. It's almost a sense of it, it doesn't quite add up to do that. And therefore, because there is that sense in which things can cling to us, even though our position has changed, Paul does give instructions or encouragements or exhortations to the Colossians that are in effect this, be who we really are. An invitation goes out to them, go on, be be who you really are. Seek the things above in verse verse 1. Verse 2, set your minds on things above, not on things that are on earth. In verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Verse 8, other things, he's saying, put these things away, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. And verse 12, put on then. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. We're called to be those who remember what's already happened. To remember what God has already done. And to remember who we are. And therefore, whenever and wherever necessary, to actively throw off what now doesn't belong to us anymore like kind of casting off old dirty clothes that don't fit anymore they're not what god wants for us they're kind of a counterfeit of the good fantastic clothes that god has for us the counterfeits are sexual immorality or anger or obscene talk things that we things that we do with our body or things that we say or things that we're feeling on the inside are like old and dirty rags that need to be put off. And so we put on what God has for us. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, love for one another, forgiving one another. So Paul writes of the Colossians, you've put off the old self with its practices and you've put on the new self. It has happened and you need to make decisions in order to just to continue to do that wherever the need arises And because sin does have that tendency to cling, we will need to. Sometimes we can get ever so discouraged by thinking, oh, um, I I thought all of this was dealt with. Well, sometimes there can be things that attempt to cling. And here we're reminded of who we are in Christ and therefore encouraged to be who we are in Christ.